0: Hello, and welcome to Practical Significance, a podcast to inspire listeners with compelling stories from statistics and data science, and to propel data-driven careers forward. Here are your hosts, the ASA's Associate Executive Director, Donna Lalone, and Executive Director, Ron Wasserstein. Well, welcome back to the February edition of Practical Significance. I actually probably say this every time, but truly, this is a special edition for Ron and I. We're really delighted to have David Madison as our guest, and we're going to talk about lots of new initiatives with David. But we'll start by uh, David just asking you to to introduce yourselves to our listeners, and so. Tell us a little bit about what you do in your day jobs.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, it's many jobs these days. So uh, first and foremost, I'm a professor at Cornell University. Um, I serve as associate chair for the Department of Statistics and Data Science. And at Cornell, I also work in the fields of applied mathematics, operations research, as well as computer science. So I do a couple other things. So with the ASA, I'm the new chair for the business and economics section for 2024, and I'm Excited about my continued work with that group in the, in the section. I'm a longtime member and longtime officer. I am the founding editor in chief of the journal Data Science and Science, and I'm excited to share updates on that journal today and, in particular, highlight its new affiliation as an official ASA publication. And the other recent news is I'm the new director for NIS, the National Institute of Statistical Sciences. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about NIS after we get to the new journal.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, let's dive right in and talk about data science and science. Can you tell us a little bit about how you see it differentiating itself from other publications? And then also, what are the key features that researchers can expect when submitting to data science and science?
1: Data science has evolved a lot over the last 10 years, and there's different groups that have latched on and and taken a leadership role in that. I've seen statistical sciences um, more recently step up as well. It is kind of a combination of different domains that come together to compromise data science. And I think a big promise of of data science and AI more broadly is to make scientific advances. And, And that's really what this journal is about, is Uh, new science, discovery, testing, anything in the whole workflow or pipeline that can be enabled through these new tools. I want to say a disclaimer that we define as a group science very broadly. So it definitely touches on the social sciences as well. And I myself work in all kinds of domains, you know, across ecology, hydrology, agriculture, physical, chemistry, computer science. It's a lot of fun, and I think that's where my passion for this came in. So let me say a little bit about what we're about. We really aim to be a home for collaborative research that potentially spans multiple scientific domains, and that's newly enabled through data science. We hope that we can recognize advances in data science itself, whether they're methodological or uh, maybe new adaptations that are motivated or, or demanded by key scientific challenges, We also appreciate the importance of data visualization in scientific discovery and and communicating uh, those discoveries as well. So some of the what I think of as key features really are about rewarding collaboration and in particular, recognizing the type of advances that we make these days are, are largely driven by collaborative teams. It's a combination of folks that identify as scientists and others that identify as data scientists.
2: So thanks, David. I'm going to dive down a little deeper. But when we were talking about your background and the various things you're involved in, you didn't think to mention. So I'm going to be sure to mention that David is also the nephew of one of my best friends. So this is a, uh, a key factor. In fact, really. If I'm going to be honest, stage, the only reason you got invited to be on the Practical <laughs> Significance podcast. Just kidding, of course. I'm really excited, of course, having you on because I'm extremely interested in both data science and science, which I'm going to ask you about a little bit more here in the next few minutes. And then also, of course, NIST, which, as you know, I've been involved with for many years. But with regards to data science and science and those things that you were mentioning, so... What do you see as the opportunities in this new journal for our emerging scholars and researchers, people setting out at the starts of their career? And also, while we're at it, let me ask the possibly related question. Are there special issues envisioned for the future?
1: Yes. So I think these do intersect. The special issue is kind of a way that the journal is staking some ownership of different collaborative domains And I I think it is kind of an ideal path for new researchers in particular to get involved with data science and science. So the current open special issues include uh, data science and modern finance, the intersection of climate and the environment is the second one, and then more recently, uh, data science and the brain sciences. And we've had a lot of strong submissions in each of these over the last year. And the interesting thing that the journal does is is the special issue is kind of the opening call to what then becomes a collection. So a a collection is kind of like a tag that helps label publications going forward. And for me as an editor, uh, it helps provide some authority to our editorial board that we have good coverage and a good track record publishing in these different areas. So some of the new initiatives in the coming year include the intersection of AI and federal government. We're hoping to do special issue on wastewater epidemiology. That one's a little bit more specific, but uh, I think that we can go a little bit deeper. High energy physics is on the short-term radar. A little bit longer, more intermediate term, something in space science is something I'm personally passionate about. And there's a big community, uh, especially the ASTRO statisticians, that could benefit from this new collaborative outlet And then further down the line, I'd like to see some more work in ecology and the environmental sciences as well. In terms of new researchers, I think we're kind of an ideal fit because we see ourselves as very modern in our take of data science itself. I view myself as a data scientist from a statistical lens, but of course, there's folks that are coming from computer science or other fields. And we have an open call for a co-editor, and I expect that we get someone in place soon that it complements my background and, and it helps us fully encompass how broad the field is itself. We are looking for new ways to partner to kind of recognize and elevate new researchers as well. So think about things like the awards that we give to ASA sections for new student research and trying to outreach to those award winners and invite them to submit to the journal. There's some other ways to partnership with ongoing workshops and conferences, both with the ASA, but then also more broadly at other data science conferences as well.
2: So you mentioned a co-editor, which is great, and I know will be a a tremendous help. But if listeners are interested in being involved on the editorial side, obviously they can respond to that open call for the editor position. But are there uh, still needs for associate editors? And I'm going to ask you if there are needs for reviewers, but I already know the answer to that question because (laughs) everybody needs reviewers.
1: That's right. We do have an open call for a co-editor, and there's a a search committee putting that together now and and reviewing applications but that'll stay open for the next couple months so do reach out we are constantly looking for associate editors and the ideal profile is someone that has a strong research track record of doing deep collaborations uh, with scientists at the same time i'm looking for what i think of as scientific unicorns these are scientists that are also broadly recognized as data scientists Whether they're self-taught or otherwise, they're advancing and have full credibility as data scientists themselves. And I I find those people through their papers oftentimes. I reach out and see where it goes, but we're looking for a good balance and try to reach both parts of the community. Junior folks, I think that once you've started publishing your own papers, and then it's an appropriate time to to start doing some reviewing yourself, we continue to expand our internal list of potential reviewers. I will say through the pandemic, the number of folks that declined review invitations has accelerated. So we do put out a lot of requests, and we always strive to get at least two independent peer reviews for all of our submission. The associate editors, I am just looking for diversity overall, so scientific diversity and uh, even more broadly geographic diversity. This is a big world we live in, and we want to reach all the communities that are helping us advance it.
2: Thanks, David. i just uh, make a quick follow-on. You mentioned uh, junior folks and where you're eager to get those people involved. I was just thinking, because now I've known you for a few years, I remember when you were a junior folk, and uh, that goes by really quickly, doesn't it? And now you find yourself in mid-career, and there's no definition of mid-career that would define where I am right now. But yeah, the time does move by rather rapidly.
1: It does, and especially when you get busy, it, it flies. But I think you should Keep an open mind throughout your career. A lot of us say yes very often. Eventually, you have to learn to say no. So I think what we're really about is is building community. And if that's a good fit for you and and you have some broad interests in collaborating, then I, I think this is a community that would be very welcoming to you.
0: And David, just to follow up on that, if folks are interested in serving as reviewers, they should reach out to you.
1: Going to me is easy. And then otherwise, the, on the web pages, there's links to the editorial office as well. I think direct with me is is kind of ideal.
0: Okay, perfect. And we'll be sure to put all the web pages in the show notes as well. So folks can hopefully take advantage of those opportunities. I want to stay in the publishing world for a little bit, you will, in your new role, be joining the ASA Committee on Publications. And one of the conversations, of course, that that committee has had, as well as probably across the scholarly community, is how artificial intelligence will influence and shape the landscape of scholarly publishing. And I'm really interested in your take, both in the short term, and then, you know, get your crystal ball out and say a little bit about where you think it might go in the long term?
1: Yeah, it's wild times. It commands a lot of attention, whether it's just from the headlines or if it's in uh, faculty meetings for me. This comes up in the publishing world very acutely as well. So I think initially there was a bit of a panic, to be honest, Uh, are we going to be flooded with submissions that are uh, generated by AI? That didn't happen. And at the same time, of course, there's AI tools to screen submissions as well. So I think the initial take is that as a community, we have to have policies and best practices in place. And I think ASA has shown a lot of leadership in this space, giving it deep thought. I think that we don't necessarily need to rush these, but as we roll out the policies, we need to continually review them because this is something that is rapidly changing over time. There's pretty large ethical concerns, both in academia, but more and more so we see when things aren't held to the highest standards fall out in the business world. In publications, of course, for the most part, it's not seen that uh, AI is a legitimate collaborator. And the main reason is that it can't be held accountable for what's written. And that's something that if you're using AI tools, I, I caution you to review the official policies. Uh, make sure you're doing it the way that is currently accepted and um, always, always disclose what you've done. And, you know, sometimes as we try to push boundaries, that's you know, the way to safeguard both yourself as, as the author and the reader as well so that they're not misled. And that's ultimately, I think, what's most important because it's that path that advances science. More intermediate term, you know, I could see AI tools providing something as a, a co-pilot the way that they've started for writing the way that they've started to for coding. Through NIS. we're actually putting together a renewal for our, our writing workshop. It's a long-standing uh, writing workshop that's run. Uh, it's got a couple of virtual sessions and then an in-person component at JSM each year. And AI is kind of the big new module that we're expanding to um, in the next three years. And it'll try to touch on, you know, what are the ethical Implications, and that, but also everyone's curious. How, how do we do this? Because it turns out you can also waste a lot of time trying to use some of these tools. That it can generate uh, nonsense pretty quickly too. So, both, how do we get started using some of these things, and, and how do we wade into them cautiously and ethically?
2: As it turns out, David, our entire last podcast was generated by AI, and nobody seems to have noticed. So, uh, <laughs> we're all good. I'm eager to talk about NIST. Thank you so much for taking on the role of director of NIST. And so tell our podcast listeners about what NIST is, briefly about your goals and visions. I only say briefly because I've heard you talk about these and you have a wonderfully large set of goals and visions for NIST. But uh, sum that up for us and also, and maybe most importantly, talk about how listeners can be
1: involved. Absolutely. I will try to keep it concise. The first thing to recognize is that uh, NIS has been around for 30 plus years, and it it's uh, it's part of our community, and I'm going to try to raise the visibility of it. So what, what is NIS? NIS is a research nonprofit, and NIS was founded in large part by the ASA, the IMS, and the International Biometric Society. So the, those groups got together in, in the very early 90s. And through a report commissioned by the National Science Foundation said that statistical science can really make large advancements if there was a national institute. And this this is the paradigm that was envisioned um, and was fulfilled. And the other founding partners were the Triangle Area Universities in the state of North Carolina and, and other entities in that location. One of the big successes of NIST early on was the co-founding of the SAMSI Institute. So NIST was a institutional partner on that with the three triangle universities as well. So back to NIST's broader mission, it aims to make advances across the profession of statistics and and now the data sciences with the hope of spanning academia, industry, and government. One of the key ways it does this is that it has a broad affiliates network So different units, organizations, or departments can become affiliated with NIST. And what that signals is that They're part of the NIST organization. They're helping lead the activities that NIST does. So what are some of those activities? One of the strengths of NIST recently, largely because of the pandemic forcing everything to go virtual and and then maybe more hybrid now, uh, is online programming. So NIST offers a wide selection of not just research programming, but expert panels on hot topics and a lot of career development series. So this could be for folks just graduating, or even folks before that, are thinking about what kind of grad school is the right fit. And again, the hope is to serve the entire profession. Ultimately, I see NIS's central mission, though, is a, a research institute. So I really want it to be a, a partner, and when there's a need, be a leader to help identify, catalyze, foster, and lead high-impact research. Along the ways, we hope to offer exceptional training opportunities to supplement what folks get in the traditional academic setting. So with that, a couple other ways to get involved is through some of the new research priorities that are being rolled out this year at NIST. So so the first one we've already touched on, and that's the intersection of AI and statistics. And this is something that I'm quite passionate in enabling our statistical sciences community to take a leadership role. in. part of this is through a new series, first virtual and then in person, on the use of AI in, in federal statistical agencies, simultaneously will be rolling out a complementary series that considers what are the core statistical concepts and principles that enable best practices for AI in industry. A couple other priorities, you'll be happy to hear that uh, data science and science is a strategic priority for NIST in the coming years. And a large part of that is is trying to broaden the umbrella that NIST has historically touched and, and also move more into the sciences. Broadly defined, I want to see this move into what I call bio ML, biological machine learning. Um, this is a big nod to our biostatistics friends and, and collaborators. They're maybe the initial folks that took the lead in data science itself, and I think that it's such a, a wonderful set of applications that we saw through the pandemic have such real-world importance, especially in public health, but more broadly in scientific discovery. And then finally. Data visualization has been a strength of NIST for a long time. And I know that it's been a priority for a lot of the events that ASA and many of its member sections have done. So I want to see that be strong. And and I'm hoping that we can partner on things like visualization contests in the future. And then finally, if I didn't emphasize it enough, I think research training, consultation, and then in particular, collaboration are things that NIST really wants to partner on in the future. When I say training, I think about things that aren't happening in a traditional academic program. So I mentioned the writing workshop. A lot of programs don't do technical writing. Grant writing isn't traditionally part of a lot of statistical programs, although I think biostat degrees have done a good job implementing that. A lot of coding is kind of outsourced to the students themselves. So these my own students earning a PhD in statistics are often spending evenings and weekends studying on leap code and otherwise. But this is, again, another place where, uh, as a shared research resource, NIST can partner and provide leadership for the entire profession.
2: So, David, thanks for that. I'm going to follow up with one thing. You talked about the importance of statistics being involved in AI. And, uh, of course, you were brief, just like I asked you to be, but... In a recent meeting I was in with you, you spoke very passionately about why statistics needs to be involved in AI and what your concerns are with regards to maybe statistics dropping the ball and not getting involved. And so could you just expand on that a little bit more?
1: So this intersection of AI and statistics, I think, is something that NIST can provide real leadership on. And it's a little bit difficult because I haven't bought in myself all the way, but certainly it's not going away and there's good uses and, and there's uh, ethical concerns and you know centralized leadership and drawing on across our affiliates network. we could provide a lot to the profession, I think. The reason I'm so interested in it is really how much I felt statistics got left out of data science initially. and I don't want that to happen in AI. so if I can help really have statistics have a big voice in the future because this is really going to affect all of society, not just research. We had previously done, this was before my time, data science essentials for business. And it was a 10-part series. And I think we do something of that spirit, but maybe flip the script. So consider a broad audience of people that are doing AI, ML, data science, but they maybe don't have statistics training. So let's present a series that provides the core statistical essentials that provide the foundation for these things. And give those folks that didn't have strong statistical training a lot more confidence in the way that they're implementing things and maybe some tips and tricks along the way. So I think like as a profession that is a, a good service that we as statisticians we think we're important. So let's say why as a and target that pretty large community. A different angle is let's really enable the new researchers. They've got the clean slate. They don't have as much, I'll say, baggage in terms of we do it this way or the highway. So enabling them is kind of, I think, our core key to success, both through NIST, but more broadly as a profession. And and that's what I hope to do. With that, I will say just another way to get involved with NIST, especially for young folks, is the Graduate Student Network. This is a great network of students. It's a student-run network that has mid-career folks as the steering committee or advisors. They put on a conference every year to showcase their own work and it's just fantastic that they run this themselves. There's over 200 members. It spans all kinds of areas of statistics and data science, master students, PhD students, folks that have just graduated are welcome to stay And I really would like to see this expand and just be more broadly a new researcher network to hit all those early career folks.
0: Thanks, David. That's great. It's making me think that you and I need to uh, find a time to talk because there's a community of really young and energized postdocs that are starting a new ASA community on postdocs. And so see lots of opportunities for synergy. So yeah, more to come on that. And then the one final thing on AI and data science and AI, I might lose my job if I didn't give a shout out to the board statement on the role of statistics and data science and artificial intelligence that was approved in August. So maybe we can put a link in the show notes to that as well. So feedback, welcome, as you said. Okay. Well, as we come to the end of our conversation, we are going to shift gears and uh, recognize that with all the jobs that you have, you probably don't know what free time is, but (laughs) we always like to ask in your free time or little as that probably is, what are you listening to, watching, reading, reading? What's on your TBR? Share some good things for us to do.
1: It is pretty limited free time these days. Believe it or not, I read statistics and machine learning papers for fun sometimes. But (laughs) one thing that does help me unplug is uh, science fiction. And somehow I need to go to another reality to shut off my brain. So I've been rereading some of the early Asimov Foundation series in particular. And those were things I got into uh, middle school and high school, and it's fun to kind of rediscover them. And some of this stuff is is into movies and TV series now. I kind of have a rule with anything like that. I have to read the book before I watch it. And the other thing that I've been reading with my kids is The Lost Art of uh, Reading Nature's Signs*, And this is kind of a fun book. It's uh, something I got for Christmas just re- recently. It's by Tristan Gooley. I get a kick out of it because I'm big into nature and we're a scouting family as well. It brings in a bit of mathematics and and that's fun for me to uh, share with the kids. It gives me another perspective when I'm out going for nature walks.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Thanks for sharing both of those with us. And thank you for joining us. This has just been so much fun to talk with you and learn more about data science and science and this. And now as we come to the end, our traditional conclusion is for me to turn it over to my colleague, Ron for Ron's top 10. So Ron, back to you.
2: Thank you, Donna. About three years ago, I prepared for the uh, Washington Statistical Society, a top 10 list of dubious statistical awards. As this is the time of year when many statistics committees will soon be reviewing nominations and making selections, we have updated that list because the Practical Significance podcast is always trying to help its listeners. So, Here is a top 10 list of awards we hope you will never receive. Number 10, the Evidence Free Decision Making Award. Number 9, Most Ambiguous Survey Question. Number 8, Outstanding Grant Underbidding. Number 7, Acronym Development Excellence Award. That's the ACE Award. Number 6, Anecdotal Evidence Merit Award. Number 5, the Big Data but Small Insights Medal. Number four, commendation for lowest response rate. Number three, most inefficient use of administrative data prize. Number two, the lack of transparency using statistics or the Lotus Award. And the number one statistics award you would not like to receive is the National Prize for Massive Privacy Violation. Well, That's it for Practical Significance for this month. Thanks for listening. Join us next month as we continue the conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to this edition of Practical Significance, the podcast of the American Statistical Association. A new episode will be coming your way next month from Amstat News, the ASA's monthly membership magazine.